welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Vance Havner was widely recognized as one of America's most traveled evangelists and popular Bible conference speakers. A native of North Carolina, he began preaching at the age of 12. Havner said, The Lord made it clear to my heart that if I would preach the old message, He would make a way for me. Listen as Vance Havner gives a personal testimony. I'm not going to preach a sermon or give a Bible study tonight. I just want to give a personal testimony. Back in early 73, I was much exercised about a closer walk with the Lord. In the last uh, years, I wanted them to be the best. And then 60 years of preaching, 34 of them on the road, my wife and I had had very little trouble, very few spells of sickness, no accidents. But whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And without chastening, we are bastards and not sons. And I wondered why we'd have so little of this evidence of sonship. I had a great desire in my heart for God to bring me to himself alone so that I could say, and not just sing, as I had done and lied many times, once earthly joy I craved, so peace and rest. Now thee alone I seek, give what is best. You'd better mean it. When you ask God to glorify himself in you at any cost, he might take you up on it. Even our Lord himself on one occasion said, And now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Jesus didn't often talk like that, but he did once. And then he said immediately, Father, glorify thy name. And when you get to the place in your life where you don't know what to say and your soul is troubled, here's the thing to say. Say what he said. Glorify thy name. In my case, it meant five months by the hospital bed of a dying wife, wasting away with a disease I had never heard of, her loveliness distorted and disfigured, and even personality changes. And I sat for two days and held her hand when she was already dead, except that the mechanism of hospitals these days kept the beep of the monitor registering a heartbeat. And I found myself saying, Lord, help me to remember her the way she used to look, and not like this. The way she's going to look, thank God, one of these days. Prayer went up from all directions, but she died. I don't understand it, but I accept it. Spurgeon said, when we cannot trace God's hand, we can always trust God's heart. And that's the first lesson I learned. There are some others. I learned, for instance, that sometimes divine chastisement and a devilish attack go together. Double barrel. That was the case with Job. God was working on Job to prove him, and the devil was working on him too. When the sons of God assembled, there was the devil. I don't know how he got in that crowd, but there he was. And he said, give me a crack at him, and I'll show you that he doesn't mean business. 
So there was a double-barrel process going on there. Same thing with Paul and the thorn in the flesh. God was teaching Paul that his grace was sufficient, and that when he, Paul, was weak, then he was strong. But uh, Paul didn't call that thorn in the flesh the instrument of God. He attributed it to the devil. And uh, you remember that our Lord said to Peter in Luke 22, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I, there they are again, the devil and the Lord, both at work, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. In John 11, uh, 33, Jesus went out to the grave of Lazarus, groaning in spirit. And uh, the original means that he was mad, indignant, snorting like an angry horse, A.T. Robertson says. He was angry at the trouble that the devil had brought into the world. We are to glory in tribulation, but we are not to glorify the tribulation. We are to recognize that there wouldn't be any trouble, and there wouldn't be any sickness and disease and death or storms or earthquakes or anything else that makes the world unhappy if it hadn't been for the devil and if it hadn't been for sin. In Luke 13, 16, we read this woman whom Satan hath bound. And Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, I wanted to pay you a visit, but he didn't say I was providentially detained. That's what we preachers say. He said, the devil hindered me. And he said to the church, Revelation 2.10, the devil, not the authorities, but the devil will cast some of you into prison. So Jesus sighed and groaned and was indignant at the misery that Satan had wrought, and we need to face trouble in its twofold aspect, just as he did. We need to get this thing straight. Then I've learned in the darkness what I never would have learned in the day, because it takes the night to bring out the stars. Uh, last Christmas, I introduced Dr. Paul Rees to a meeting in North Carolina. He's one of the greatest preachers today. I've always envied his diction and his delivery. I said when I introduced him that I sometimes wished he'd make just one mistake to make me feel more comfortable. But he never does. And uh, he recited a little poem that night that I liked so much. I said, I've got to have that. It's very short. The English in it is marvelous, but the meaning is greater still. The point of it is that when we get to heaven, some of our sweetest music will be what we learn down here in trouble. Many a rapturous minstrel among the sons of light will say of his sweetest music, I learned it in the night. And many a rolling anthem that fills the Father's throne sobbed at its first rehearsal in the shroud of a darkened room. I think that's terrific. Oh, there's a silly little song on TV these days. If tears were silver and heartaches were gold, I'd have all the money my pockets could hold. And I think I could say that too, but God is able to transmute the coinage of sorrow into the currency of joy. He changes trouble into treasure, gives us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And he will, God himself personally, will wipe all tears from our eyes. I like that. He didn't say the angels would do it. I think that would be kind of nice to have the angels to do it. But God is personally going to supervise that. And I like it. Then I have learned, furthermore, 
during these months past not to take my blessings for granted. You never miss the water till the well goes dry. And you don't realize what you have till you don't have it. That's true of health. It's true of money. It's true of the lesser things, and it's certainly true of the better things. And let me say to you husbands and wives here tonight, you tell that dear one now what they mean to you. Don't wait. You say they know it, yes, but you tell them. Because if you don't, the day will come, if you love them, when you give every blessed thing you have for one day, any old day, with them. You don't know that now, but you will know it. So tell them. Tell that good wife. Tell her easy, though. You don't want her to have a heart attack. <laughs> I heard of an Irishman who said, I'm going to do that. The preacher's right. And on the way home, he got up a speech the like of which had never been heard on land or sea. Came into the kitchen and started with all that oratory, and she was doing the evening's work, and she stopped and looked at him and said, Well, this takes the cake. Broke one of my best plates this morning. I've had a split and headache all day, and now you've come home drunk. <laughs> so, watch it, watch it. But do it. Then I've learned, beloved, that God is a very present help in time of trouble. I've known it all the time, but I knew it uh, to a much smaller degree than I do now. Sometimes these other things you take for granted till you don't have them. Uh, I've always been a light sleeper, and for two years of my life, a long time ago, I had a round with insomnia that I'll never forget, and some of the things I wrote in some of my books, like Rest for the Weary, came out of that. I was preaching through Iowa a long, long time ago, preaching night after night, and in Creston, Iowa, I preached, went to bed, couldn't sleep. Next night, didn't sleep a wink, and for two years, I wrestled with that problem. And then when the Lord took the little lady who has traveled this country for 33 years with me, took her to heaven. I said, uh-oh, now the devil is going to sit on the foot of the bed and all this is coming back. And the doctor gave me some red medicine and a box of pills and said, these are mild and you go ahead and take them. And I took a few, but one night I said, Lord, I'd rather not. I I I'd rather take the old verse, he giveth his beloved sleep like to try that. And that was last fall. And I haven't had any trouble since. Now, I don't have any explanation for that other than to say that the Lord took me up on it because otherwise I wouldn't have made it. And I was just like that old bishop who woke up. No, he didn't wake up. He never had been to sleep. Two in the morning. Got out his Bible and it says, He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He said, Lord, if you're sitting up, I'm going to bed. Good night. <laughs> so I've learned. 
And something else I've learned, and I want you to learn it if you haven't. I've learned the difference between God our rewarder and God our reward. Now, that isn't just a nice way of saying something, because in Hebrews eleven six, he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But you remember in Genesis 15, when he said to Abraham, I am thy exceeding great reward. Somebody said the difference between Patrick Henry and the average American is that Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. And the average American today just says, gimme. Got his hands stuck out all the time. We've made the Santa Claus out of the Lord today. We pray for what we want, and we are more interested in the gifts than in the giver and in the blessing than in the blesser. We don't know what this old song means. Now thee alone I seek, give what is best. The Christian life, I think, ought to follow the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will first, always first. Then give us this day our daily bread and all the rest of it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, bread, clothes, all the rest of it, will be added to us. Dr. Torrey used to say that the chief purpose of prayer is that God may be glorified in the answer. Now, that'll change your praying if you really believe that. The chief purpose of prayer is not to get what you ask for. It's that God may be glorified in the answer whether you get what you ask for or not. And sometimes our dear ones are taken and sorrow comes and health fails to drive us through to God himself. When God calls on us to seek him alone, it doesn't mean there aren't any other interests in life. Oh, no. Paul took care of that in 1 Corinthians 7. 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short, it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. He doesn't say you're not to get married, not to have a wife, but be as though, all the way through here, it's as though, this is living as though, and they that weep, he doesn't say you're not to weep, weeping's good for you. You'd die if you didn't get relief and grieve from weeping. And they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy, nothing wrong with buying, as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world is passing away. You have to get to the place where God's all you have, as I said yesterday. Then he's all you want. I heard of a dear old lady who was quite ill, and I said, well, we've done all for you we can. You're going to have to trust the Lord. She said, my soul, has it come to that? Well, you ought to start with that, friend. Begin with that. And if you get established on that, all these other things will fit in. Jesus Christ is the hub, and all these other things are the spokes, even the doctrines. Every once in a while, some dear brother gets off on one spoke, like a bird on a limb, and gets hipped on one doctrine, second coming or the work of the Spirit or what have you, and that's all you hear from then on. And it, he becomes warped after a while. Stay at the hub. Then all the spokes are yours. And then it's been a great joy to me, beloved, to know that uh, I haven't really lost anything that uh, God wanted me to have if I've put it on his hands. One of the hardest things for me to learn when... My dear one passed away, and as we rode out to the cemetery, one little word got hold of me, gone. She's gone. Gone, the anticipation of returning home and being greeted at the airport or the apartment. 
I don't go home anymore. I've quit saying that. I'm like R.G. Lee since he lost Lady Lee. He said, I'm not going home, going to Memphis. So when I go back, I don't go home. I go to Greensboro. Gone that voice at the other end of the line on the telephone. Gone those airmail letters, one a day. And I still find myself stumbling down motel stairs and looking in the letter rack, knowing very well it won't be there. Gone the clasp of a hand that I've held all over America and elsewhere. Gone that smiling face in the congregation, and I still find my eyes subconsciously roaming around as though I ought to see her. Oh, for the touch of a vanished hand and the sound of a voice that is still. But I've not lost her because I know where she is. You haven't lost anything when you know where it is. One of these days the picture's going to be reversed and everything that's gone's coming back and the things that aggravate and bother us so much now will be gone. God's going to shift the whole picture. William Jennings Bryan said, Christ has made of death a narrow sunlit strip between the companionship of yesterday and the reunion of tomorrow. One of these days we're going to say, what's happened to sin? Well, there isn't any more now. Sorrow, I don't see anybody sad. No, that's gone. Death, no funeral parlors, no hearses, no graveyard, that's gone. No pain, nobody hurting. No, we don't hurt anymore. And it's always day, yes. Darkness is gone. And whatever happened to the devil? Well, he's where he belongs too. Everything's gone that ought to be gone. And those that we've lost a while, we have again in the Lord. Because Christians never meet for the last time. We can't tell each other goodbye, really. Everybody here that knows the Lord, we're going to meet again. Can't say goodbye for good to save your life. Death can hide but not divide. Thou art but on Christ's other side. Thou art with Christ and Christ with me united still in Christ are weak. He divides us at, for the present, but he unites us at the same time. I was down in Charleston, South Carolina about two years ago and snapped a picture of Sarah out there on the battery of the waterfront and it, the negative lay in the camera for a year and a half. I didn't have the rest of the role developed. And then after a while I thought of it. And had the role developed, I finished the pictures, and there she stood, sort of a surprise in a way. I'd forgotten what she looked like on that day. And then I got to thinking, just as that negative had lain in the darkness of that camera for a year and a half, so her body lies in the quietness of a little Quaker graveyard in North Carolina. But one of these days, the great photographer is going to turn negative into positive. And this mortal shall put on immortality and death shall be swallowed up in victory. Ah, oh, what a day! Somebody, I've had so many sweet letters in the last months from dear people all over this country and elsewhere. Some dear soul who knows what it's like and you have to go through it to know what it's like. Sent this, I think it's precious. There is something very dear about the body our dear one used to wear, still loved, but now no longer usable. It must be laid away with gratitude and with affection, remembered as a suit once thought becoming. 
look back upon with no regret now that our dear one awaits her Easter close. Do you realize that we're all waiting for our Easter outfit? Now you talk about one, you're going to have one then. You're going to have a brand new body for one thing. Aren't you glad some of your old timer, you old timers with your neuritis and bursitis and arthritis and all the other itises yet not? Looking at me through trifocals, got your teeth in your pocket. Ah, I tell you, I'm anticipating. Mm. Heard a little modernist preacher some time ago said, we ought to change that word salvation and use the word salvage. Now, wasn't that a bright idea? When you salvage something, you save the same old wreck. Salvation something new. I don't want to be towed into heaven behind a wrecking crew. I want to go in brand new. Amen. Amen. And as I looked at the battered face of my dear one, and she was attractive, and everybody always said so, she looked so much younger than I do, they thought she was a second wife that I'd picked up somewhere on the... <laughs> and I looked at that face, and we couldn't even open the casket for the funeral, but I looked at it, and you know what I thought about? I thought about the, when they took my Lord down from the cross, his visage was marred, and the real translation will tell you he didn't look like a man. He'd been beaten so. Crown of thorns, slap, beard pulled out, blood and spittle all over his face, crucified, spear in his side. He didn't even look like a man. They didn't, they couldn't recognize him, but he went through all that so that one of these days all the folks whose visage has been marred will come up again, and it won't be marred then, because we'll look just like Jesus. Nothing's lost if you're in Jesus Christ. No prayer that you ever pray is lost. No tear that you ever shed. Don't you remember the psalmist said, Put thou my tears into thy bottle? God's in the bottling business. He preserves your tears. The sparrow doesn't fall without his notice. The hairs of your head are all numbered. And Jesus said, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he has given me I should lose nothing, but raise it up again the last day. And I'm so glad that we're just in the middle of the book. We're not through yet, you know. And if things don't make sense, dear friend, we're not through the book yet. Give it a chance. When I was a boy, the book salesmen used to come through and they'd sell prospectuses, they called them, sample pages and pictures out of the sure enough book. And it was very frustrating. You'd be reading page five, the next page would be page 21. You couldn't get anywhere. But it whetted your appetite for the sure enough book. Ah, uh, there are a lot of things in this old world I don't understand now, but my appetite's whetted. When Jesus was down here, he performed miracles to sort of whet up our appetite. He stilled the storm, he walked on the water, he healed the sick. One of these days, when he comes back to take over and reign with the saints and the devil's put out of business, then we'll be able to read the whole book and it'll make sense. And the whole creation, Philip says, stands on tiptoe, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Every time I hear a wood thrush sing in the evening, I fancy that I hear nature longing for that day when even the natural creation 
will be redeemed. It's going to be a great day. And so we can have a little foretaste of it before we ever get there. We can taste the powers of the age to come. Watchman Nee has a wonderful chapter on that. You can taste heaven before you get there. That's what that means. Have you done that? You might wait till you get there. The trees bend over the wall and you can grab a little of the fruit on this side. That's what Fanny Crosby meant. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That's the earnest of your inheritance. That's what earnest means. First down payment. I tell you tonight, this old world's never been less attractive and the next one's never been more inviting than it is to me tonight. I'm glad God hasn't told us about it all. We couldn't understand it if he did. It'd be like trying to tell a four-year-old what it's like to be uh, 25 years old. Can't take it in. Be like telling a boy eating a bowl of spinach, trying to get him interested in a bowl of spinach with a chocolate cake on the end of the table. Now, wouldn't he have a rough time eating spinach? And if I could see what's coming, what's ahead? I'd have a rough time with my spinach, too. The Lord knows we can understand only so much. There are a lot of questions I don't understand about heaven. I don't understand all about the state between death and the resurrection. I don't know exactly what they, what they look like now, and I, I study about that a lot. I, you wonder, do children grow up in heaven? And all that sort of thing. Well, wait a while. He'll have it all fixed up right. Last December, I went up to Minneapolis to speak at Billy Graham's Christmas party. And to preach in the First Baptist Church on Sunday morning that afternoon, Bev Shea gave a concert and packed the place out. And I've known Bev ever since he used to sing over WMBI long, long ago. And he wrote such a precious thing to me during my hour of trial. And uh, uh, I was sitting out in the crowd, and Bev came in the side door, and he saw me, and he came over. And, of course, I stood up, and he gave me a great big hug. And then went up in the pulpit to sing in a few moments, If We Could See Beyond Today. As God can see, if all the clouds should roll away, the shadows flee. Or present griefs we would not fret, each sorrow we would soon forget. For many joys are awaiting yet for you and me. I've come through the darkest days of my 72 years, but I've come through shipwrecked on God and stranded on omnipotence. That's a good place to be stranded. I said that last summer I'd been lipping and Billy Graham over on the mountainside nearby where he lives heard it and he sent a note to me next morning it said shipwrecked on God stranded on omnipotence that's where I want to be and God calls me dear friend in closing may I ask you tonight are you certain and sure that you've got to the place where God is not only your rewarder thank God he is but there's something better have you got to the place where you say, Lord, it's you that I want. Just give me whatever's best for me. Get over the gimmies, dear friend. Now be alone, I seek. Give what is best. And when you get to that blessed place, you will know what I'm talking about. And some of you, I think, have. And already I've taken the hand of so many dear people, the congregation, who they, they don't usually say much. If they've been down this road, they just grip my hand. Sometimes there's a tear in their eyes, and I know you've been there. I always tried to comfort people, did the best I could, quoted the Bible, that's the best thing. But there's some things, and you can't help it if you haven't been there, but let me say, 
Be sure while your dear one's by your side that you appreciate what you have. While you have your health, while you have these things that we take for granted until they're gone. And then if they are swept away, say, Lord, I still have you. And since I have you, I have everything because it'll all come back to me one of these days, whatever I ought to have, and so I haven't lost anything in the long run. And that'll make life livable. I'm awfully lonely these days, no children, and I'm just by myself back where I started. Loneliness gets pretty bad sometimes if you wake up in the middle of the night and wonder what's going to happen if I get sick or so on. But then I remember... I've been over a long road, and he hasn't failed me for all these years. He's made a way when there wasn't any way, a way that I could see. And don't you get out of heart tonight. You just put your faith in Jesus Christ and make sure that you're not leaning on props. Some of you are limping along through life on a lot of crutches, you know, and the Lord has to knock out those old props, and you take an awful fall sometimes. But maybe you learn that underneath all the time were the everlasting arms, and you had to have a mighty hard pull to find it out. But it's worth it, and I only pass it on to you. You've been listening to Vance Havner. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.